On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring back the amazing, the incredible Cynthia Thurlow. Perimenopause, the 10 to 15 years preceding menopause, this is when all bets are off. Everything that used to work for you no longer works in most instances. I was certainly one of those people. This is when stress management and sleep become critically important. If you can't manage those two things, please do not add the hormetic stress of intermittent fasting. Dial in on those first, you'll thank me later. Maybe you got away with pizza and ice cream in your 20s and 30s, that all changes. I don't say this to sound like a wet blanket, but I think it's important to just acknowledge that as we're getting older, our diets need to change, our nutrition needs to change. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Ben is out of here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Out of all the options out there, you chose us. And you are going to be thankful as a result because we bring on Cynthia Thurlow. Now, Cynthia is a, a dear friend of mine, a colleague. I've been blessed to be able to hang out with her over the years, share stages with her, have dinners with her, and collaborate with her all over the place. She's been on the Keto Camp Podcast many, many times before. Just a few months ago, we did an in-person podcast. Now, today's episode was the most recent uh, interview with Cynthia Thurlow, the first one of 2024 we've done with her. So it's a brand new episode that we get into all about fasting, of course. But before we get into fasting, we discuss the need for metabolic flexibility. We discuss how the body functions. Cynthia emphasizes that the benefits of fasting extend far beyond just changing your body composition and weight loss. And she'll get into those amazing benefits, but we also get into why it needs to be done the right way. There is a science to fasting, which she'll share, but most importantly, there's an art, which she will share. So we'll get into different ways to practice fasting, how fasting helps with cellular regulation, autophagy, and why if you're practicing fasting, which hopefully you are, we want to make sure you're hitting that protein intake during your eating window. She is going to discuss how to do that and why that is crucial, especially for women over the age of 40. We'll discuss hypoglycemia, why that person actually really needs to get metabolically flexible. We'll discuss how intermittent fasting changes depending on your age, your hormones, men versus women. We'll discuss fasting as a stressor and how to track HRV to gauge if you're doing the right amount of stress slash fasting or too much. If you listened to my recent interview with JT Wiles, you heard all about HRV. We'll talk more about that. Cynthia unveils the physiological depths of intermittent fasting, meaning like she's going to help you understand what happens inside of the body when you practice fasting. There's a Q&A portion at the end here. 
just like we did with Dr. Eric Berg's previous episode, and a lot more. You're going to love Cynthia. You're going to love this episode. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview or all interviews with on the show, that's on YouTube, youtube.com slash keto camp. I want to encourage you to leave the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from, ideally Apple Podcasts for sure. We want to hit 1,000 reviews on there in the next three months. We're at 811 currently. So if you're listening and have not left the show a rating and review, please do so today. And uh, yeah, that's all I got for you. Let's have a fun conversation with the amazing, incredible Cynthia Thurlow. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you, my friend. Good to be back in front of your community. Yes, our community loves you. I love our collaborations and a lot to cover. So let's get right into it. We haven't really, during this five-day challenge, this is day four, we've covered you know ketosis. Yesterday, we had Dr. Berg, and it was a great session. We had some students. We haven't really taken a deep dive into fasting. Alina talked about the benefits of fasting for gut health on Tuesday. But I want you to take a deep dive into why you use fasting as one of your protocols for many, many years and what it does to shift us away from burning sugar and burning glucose and these metabolic conditions we see and how fasting is such a powerful tool to reverse these conditions and shift us into a fat-burning energy system. Yeah, I think it's such an important point for people to understand why fasting is so beneficial. And it has a lot less to do with the changes in body composition and weight loss that so many people really do fixate on. And I say that non-pejoratively, it's just that's a common reason why people come to intermittent fasting. It's certainly how I came to intermittent fasting many years ago. But when I think about our modern day lifestyles and I think about the information that many of us were trained in, we have subjected ourselves to over the years that we eat to stoke our metabolism, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We have to eat snacks and mini meals because that's what stabilizes our blood sugar. And when you really think about our modern day lifestyles and even looking at photos, like I posted a photo, I think on Twitter, which is now X a few weeks ago, and it was a photo from the 1970s. So many of you watching may or may not have been alive at that time. I was, um, and I was struck by how different people looked. And that had a great deal to do with the different types of foods we were eating back then and the meal frequency and the fat phobia had not yet really fallen into vogue as it did in the 1980s. And so when I think about fasting, it is helping people get reacquainted with the way that our bodies are designed to function optimally. Meaning that until about 100 years ago, food was scarce. People starved. I mean, in westernized countries, people starved without food. And yet now we are in a position because of the processed food industry, because of demands that we have food accessibility all the time. It's generally from hyper-processed foods. I think the last statistic I read was that 70% of us, most of our diets are comprised of hyper-processed foods. And, and that's kind of probably overwhelming to this community and my own. But understanding that most of us, from the moment we get up in the morning until the moment we go to bed, we are consuming food-like substances. And we are eating to the detriment of our metabolism, to the detriment of our the health of our cells. I know Ben talks a lot about cellular health and cellular rejuvenation and um, healthy cells and what those are comprised of. So when I'm lecturing on fasting as one example, a lot of what I choose to focus in on is helping people understand that 
when your body can use both fats and carbohydrates efficiently, this is how our bodies are designed to thrive. They are not designed to run just on carbohydrates. They're designed to be efficient. It's almost like if you think about it, you have a sports car and if you hit the gas to go really fast, really quickly, we can think about it the same way when we use carbohydrates in our body. I mean, we deplete stored sugar. But then after we've done that acceleration, what our body should optimally be utilizing is fats. But helping people understand that much like a car in terms of efficiency, in terms of fuel efficiency, our body should be able to flex between utilizing stored carbohydrates or stored fat as a fuel source. And the way that we do that is by training our bodies. We really do have to get back to basics. And that means we eat the right combination of macronutrients at a meal. That usually is going to talk about protein as being very protein-centric and understanding that, yes, you can have carbs at the meal. I'm a huge proponent of healthy carbs, you know, from vegetables or healthy fats. But helping people understand that what stabilizes our blood sugar is protein. It is not the carbohydrates. And so when we start restructuring our meals, we can help with stabilization of that blood sugar. We can get to a point where we can go longer periods of time without eating. As we go longer periods of time without eating, we're effectively allowing our bodies to utilize stored energy as a fuel source. And Ben, I know we both talk about the fact that a lot of people get keto wrong in the mindset of they think it's an unlimited amount of healthy fats. And I, I'd like to remind people that ultimately we want to burn what we have as opposed to burning what we eat. So eating a stick of butter or five avocados a day is not per se going to get you to where you need to be. But being conscientious about our fat portions is certainly something that and I know we both advocate for. So helping people understand when we choose to break a fast, even if it's just 12 hours of digestive rest, what we choose to break our fast with has a tremendous impact on how our body effectively utilizes stored energy. And if anyone has ever been in a position where you can only go an hour or two in between meals, you get hangry, you're grumpy, you feel like you're running out of gas, you're really struggling with weight loss resistance, more often than not, that is a sign that your body is not effectively utilizing stored fat as a fuel source. And the other piece of this that I think is so important for people to understand, whether you fast or not, 12 hours of digestive rest, in my clinical opinion, should be the minimum we go between meals. So maybe you eat dinner at six o'clock at night, you don't eat breakfast till 6 a.m. I don't know how many of you like to eat breakfast at 6 a.m. I'm definitely not one of them. But 12 hours of digestive rest, even my athletic teenage sons can go 12 hours. And that allows our bodies to optimize digestion, stabilize blood sugar. And for many people, that can be a really good starting point. So when asked the question about how do we understand the physiology of our body so that we can optimize not only digestion, but our metabolism is really starting with the basics. And it really goes back to try to go longer in between meals, make sure you're putting your meals together in a way that is going to set you up for success. And by that, I mean... Don't sit down and eat a pound of potato chips and half gallon of ice cream. That is not going to set you up for stable blood sugar. You're not going to feel good. I may feel good momentarily, but you will not feel good a little while later versus having a steak and broccoli, having chicken and uh, a salad, having a piece of fish, having hard boiled eggs, having an omelet, 
all those things are going to help you get to a point where you can go longer in between eating. And I will lastly just justify that we should not be snacking. I know this isn't a popular opinion. Sometimes people will tell me I'm like a wet blanket and I accept that. But really, if we're putting our meals together properly, we don't need to snack in between meals because snacking in between meals has the potential to evoke an insulin response. And I know that probably many of the other experts that I've spoken this week have probably talked a lot about these key hormones, glucose, insulin. And it's interesting, I was listening to a podcast this morning, Ben, and there was a physician talking about if you can manage two specific hormones, you can master your metabolism. And I, I know you won't be surprised to hear his two hormones that he said you got to master, insulin and glucose. And we know based on research, based on me working with hundreds of thousands of people, you working with lots and lots of clients, if we can help teach you how to balance your blood sugar and manage that insulin response. And remember, insulin is not a bad hormone. It's gotten a bad rap because of our modern day lifestyles. If you can manage those two hormones, you got a lot to work with. You can you know, work backwards on all the other things, but it really is getting down to foundational principles. And the last thing I'll just tie into that, for anyone that's watching this, that is struggling with weight loss resistance, you know, you're like, I don't know why this has happened, especially for women north of 40. My heart goes out to you. I know what that's like. Helping people understand the interrelationship with poor sleep and dietary choices and blood sugar dysregulation, chronic stress. You know, we're now four years since the beginning of the pandemic, and I cross my fingers that we never live through anything like that ever again. The amount of stress that all of us have experienced over the past four years is, is unlike anything we've ever experienced in our lifetimes. So understanding that chronic stress, chronic high cortisol impacts blood glucose, impacts insulin, got to dial in on those two things. So if you're you know, listening to this and you're saying, you know, I'm already intermittent fasting, I, you know, I'm doing all the right things, I would say start with the foundational principles and you will generally end up having much better results than someone that is Overfasting, not sleeping, chronically stressed. I mean, we know a lot of these people, right? I have some family members and some friends. I'm always encouraging them. I was like, do the things you don't want to do, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's grounding work, whether it's backing off on the intensity of your exercise, ultimately telling our autonomic nervous system that we're not being chased by a saber toothed tiger is beneficial to our metabolic health as well. Hey, I wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that we just launched our Keto Recipe of the Week program. Look, as somebody who personally doesn't enjoy cooking, I can tell you that these recipes are easy to follow, even for newbie. And most importantly, they meet my high health standards for the keto guidelines. They are protein-focused. They have the exact percentages and macronutrients to get you into ketosis or keep you in ketosis. They taste great. It kind of feels like you're cheating on your diet, but you're not. And I have been working with the food journalist slash recipe developer to make this available to you. So you could burn fat, feel good, get those ketones up and adopt this lifestyle. They are low in plant toxins. They don't contain any inflammatory seed oils and vegetable oils. They are built out to focus on protein, which builds your metabolism. And we're giving away over 400 bucks in free bonuses when you sign up for the Keto Recipe of the Week, which is only $9.90 per month. Cancel anytime, 30-day money-back guarantee. That's 33 cents a day. 
head over to ketocamprecipes.com to get these recipes at the discounted price before the price goes up. We'll put that link down below. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Uh, you know, the key lessons that Cynthia just shared already, pure gold, first of all. Number one, when you change the composition of the macronutrients in your meals, it makes it a lot easier to skip snacking, to practice intermittent fasting, and, and start off with that 12-hour fasting window. One of the questions we get asked all the time, Cynthia, is does my sleeping window include my fasting window? And the answer is yes. Use that as your fasting window because you're asleep. So to Cynthia's example, if you're done eating by 6 p.m., that last bite of food, you'll go to bed that night, wake up the next morning, and when you eat at 6 a.m., if you eat that early, that's a 12-hour fast. You're using your sleeping window. And that should be so doable as long as the composition of the meals you're having, that breakfast, lunch, and dinner, are fat and protein-focused, not necessarily carbohydrate-focused. But even before that, what you just said at the end, the fundamentals can't be skipped. They just, they're called the fundamentals and the foundation because that is what builds everything else. Fasting, keto, these are all really amazing tools. Red light therapy, cold plunging, amazing tools. But if the fundamentals, the, the foundation is not strong, it's just not going to get you to where you want to get to. So the foundations are sleep and stress, getting quality sleep, mastering your stress levels, turning off the news, taking your daily dose of vitamin G, which by the way, they don't know what vitamin G is yet. I'm going to share it tomorrow. So don't give it away, Cynthia. But <laughs> getting your vitamin G, which I'll talk about tomorrow. And then once you start pairing keto and fasting, everything works so much better. The expert who said two hormones, uh, glucose and insulin to focus on, cool thing about that is keto and fasting you know, work really well for both uh, of those factors. Um, so what would you say, Cynthia? Because I know somebody watching might be in this situation or they might know somebody in this situation. How would you coach this and share uh, your tips on this? When I don't eat every two to three hours, like I go hypoglycemic and my nutritionist, my dietitian, my personal trainer, my whatever told me to snack because I'm going, my blood sugars are dropping too low and I got to keep it high. Uh, how do you coach them on that? Well, first of all, I, I like them to understand that hypoglycemia is a step in the wrong direction. It means that your the, the receptors on your cells are not properly being regulated. I always think back to when I was first a nursing student many years ago, and we thought hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, was pretty benign. And then I learned otherwise, that it is just one of many signs that you have some degree of cellular resistance to the effects of these hormones. So when someone is number one, articulating they have a fear of experiencing this degree of hypoglycemia, we go back to the basics of making sure they understand how to structure their meal. So are you having 30 grams of protein in that meal prior to that episode of hypoglycemia? And more often than not, they're not. So I, I find women in particular do a really crummy job of not eating. They under eat protein unknowingly because we've been conditioned to believe that women are meant to have petite little meals. And I remind them all the time, that's a surefire way to, to contribute to a lot of metabolic health issues. So number one is, let's reflect back on the meal you ate prior to this episode. Number two, I'm completely fine when someone is new to intermittent fasting or the concept of intermittent fasting, that there are little hacks. There are things like MCT oil, which is processed very differently in the body than other types of fats. Now, 
the challenge with MCT oil is there's a, a dose response curve. So mm -hmm. I find that maybe Ben can get away with two tablespoons and I need a teaspoon. But a teaspoon of a healthy fat used in between meals, if you are prone to hypoglycemia, can be a, a way to address this. It is not orange juice. It's not a hard candy. It is not eating. What did someone tell me the other day? Orange juice, hard candy. This is what their endocrinologist that's a specialist in dealing with diabetes. Oh. Um, or to eat a like a muffin when they have these episodes. And I said, that's probably not the advice that I would give. I probably would say have a piece of fruit with a piece of protein. Maybe that's the way. If you need something that's handy, but you don't want to look at orange juice as a, a stopgap mechanism. So generally, Ben, when because I work predominantly with women, when women express this concern, I almost always will say, let's reflect back on what you last ate. Let's then reflect on what can you have that's transportable with you if you start to feel that way. And that's where healthy fats. Now, the challenge is we are a nation, we love nuts. We love nuts. We really love nut butter and peanut is not a nut. So let me just be clear. Yeah. Peanut butter in my house is king. My husband and my younger son love peanut butter. It's like an Same. art form. Total art form. Have you ever heard of Big Spoon Roasters? No. Okay, they're based out of North Carolina, small batch. Check them out. They've got a crunchy peanut butter that is like ridiculous. No, it's dangerous. I, I should probably stay away from that. That's my trigger exactly. food. <laughs> I, I, bought, I bought one for each, my husband and my son. And I just said, good luck. You get one jar and then you're done because they have to moderate. But I do find that healthy fats, now let me be clear. I'm not saying go have two scoops of nut butter because it's really easy to overeat. That's why I like MCT oil. It's processed differently completely differently than other types of fats. It's a medium chain triglyceride. I actually have conversations with a colleague of mine who feels like MCT oil can kind of get a free pass, meaning it's pretty hard to overdo it with MCT oil minus the GI effects. It's hard to overdo it. Whereas like avocado is easy to overeat, nuts are easy to overeat, nut butters are easy to overeat. So that's typically my recommendation. Reflect back on your meal. Let's change it up next time, 30 grams of protein. Add in some MCT oil, again, being cognizant of portions. Like I literally will do a teaspoon and I'm totally fine with that. But for some people, they'll add that to a coffee, they'll add that to tea as they're trying to bridge that gap of going from being less metabolically efficient to becoming more metabolically efficient. And the last thing that I want to say to this is you did not become hypoglycemic overnight or insulin resistant overnight. For a lot of men and women, they get very impatient. They expect that they should be able to go from metabolic inefficiency to efficiency in like one day. That's not how it works. I think most people take one, two, three, four weeks. If you're really not metabolically healthy, it could take longer. And please, please, please give yourself the gift of time. If you're, if you're really struggling, don't beat yourself up. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Reach out for resources but understand the more metabolically unhealthy you are, the longer it's going to take to be able to get your body to a point where you're, you can utilize stored fat as a fuel source and be able to flex between, I know that's one of Ben's words, flex between using carbohydrates or fats as a fuel source. Fantastic advice there. Uh, I, I love the MCT oil tip and, and you're right. Go low and slow with that. You don't want to <laughs> get uh, some stomach distress and be sent to the bathroom. 
Uh, powders might work better than the liquids for some people as well. But you're right, I could do a tablespoon or two of some powders and I'm totally fine. But if I go more than that, then I'm sent to the bathroom as well. Coconut oil could be a good option too, although it's not 100% MCT. There's a percentage of MCTs in it. And the cool thing about uh, medium chain triglycerides, a lot of benefits, like you said, it's kind of like a free pass. But the reason it is, the liver doesn't have to produce bile to break it down. It goes right into your cells. The mitochondria use it efficiently. It could help with ketones, especially caprylic acid, the C8 variety. So you could put it in your coffee. You could just take a tablespoon or a teaspoon of it. Uh, There's certain different ways to do it, but definitely we don't want to have hard candies and these uh, sugar-rich protein bars that most doctors unfortunately are recommending. But hypoglycemia is a problem to your point. Mm -hmm. It is the result of a metabolism that is inflexible and it could be, you could overcome it. It might take a week to several weeks, but it, it can be overcome by getting fat adapted and doing some intermittent fasting. So on the topic of intermittent fasting, Cynthia, you have a book, of course, called the Intermittent Fasting Transformation. You work with a lot of women on fasting. And I'd love for you to distinguish the difference between how somebody who's a man like myself versus a woman <laughs> who's uh, menstruating or postmenopausal, how they all practice this amazing tool differently. Yeah, it's such an important question because back when I first started intermittent fasting and I read our mutual friend, Dr. Jason Fung's book, the governing philosophy was that we're all the same. Well, I'm here to remind everyone that we're very different, you know, men versus women. I would say to make it easy, menopausal women and men are more similar in that there's less hormonal fluctuation day to day, week to week. So I'll just put them in their own little bucket. Women 35 and under, if you are a lean athletic woman, I don't want you fasting regularly. In fact, I typically will say to my younger female patients, if you are in the beginning stages of your menstrual cycle, which is when estrogen predominates the follicular phase, you know, thinking about a pristine, like let's just say clockwork 28, 30 day cycle, day one is a bleed day up until ovulation. That's when most women can get away with a bit of fasting. Now, if you're already lean and athletic, less is more. It might be that maybe one or two days a week, you might do a 12, 13, 14 hour fast. I am not a fan of lean athletic women doing a lot of fasting because our bodies are exquisitely sensitive to nutrient depletion. Even if we are choosing not to have children at that time or at all, our bodies are still exquisitely sensitive to nutritional cues. So that's one subsect. Then we have women who are under the age of 35 who are not metabolically healthy, whether they have PCOS, they're already insulin resistant or diabetic. These are women who really need a bit of fasting. And so again, the same applies if they have regular cycles, follicular phase when estrogen predominates, usually the first two weeks of their cycle, they can get away with quite a bit of more intense exercise if they do a carb restriction, a bit of fasting. After ovulation, as they get closer to menstruation, it gets a little more challenging, but they can still do 12 hours of digestive rest. And I would actually argue for anyone who's listening who's ever been told they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, the hallmark of PCOS is insulin resistance. Not enough women are being told this. They're about 25% of women with PCOS have a thin phenotype, meaning they're thin. They get missed all the time. Obese women that are younger that have PCOS, they're oftentimes not told, oh, by the way, what's at the basis of this is inflammation, oxidative stress, and insulin resistance. And so there's many, many years 
of issues that can arise. And interestingly enough, um, I'm just going to dovetail this. I just interviewed Dr. Peter Atia's head lipid specialist, Dr. Tom Dayspring. Amazing, amazing. He was talking about women that are at risk for future heart disease. You know who some of those women are? PCOS, mm. gestational diabetes, women that have uh, high blood pressure during pregnancy, women that are insulin resistant. So I just want to kind of curve that in there. So, you know, younger women, whether they're lean, less fasting, if they are insulin resistant or they have diagnoses suggestive of insulin resistance, a bit more fasting again, attuned to their menstrual cycle. Now, women 35 to 50, average age of menopause here in the United States is 51. Women that are 35 to 50, special time in our lives. I say special, I'm going to put in air quotes. Perimenopause, the 10 to 15 years preceding menopause, this is when all bets are off. Everything that used to work for you no longer works in most instances. I was certainly one of those people. This is when stress management and sleep become critically important. If you can't manage those two things, please do not add the hormetic stress of intermittent fasting. Dial in on those first. You'll thank me later. When I think about women at this age, same things apply about their menstrual cycle. So follicular phase, you can get away with a bit of fasting, provided you're sleeping and managing your stress. After the ovulatory period, when progesterone levels are starting to rise, this is when a little less fasting is beneficial. It doesn't mean you can't go 12 hours of digestive rest. And certainly the five to seven days preceding your menstrual cycle, this is generally when I'm recommending that women reduce their fasting hours entirely. Maybe they're doing 12 or 13 hours. The challenge with perimenopause, and a lot of women I know in Ben's community and my community, it's like it's like everything that used to work no longer works, as I said. And all of a sudden, we have to exercise differently. So you're doing more strength training and less HIT, less Orange Theory Fitness, less CrossFit, because your body is less stress resilient. Your body's making less progesterone. Fun fact men replenish sperm every 72 hours. Women, we are born with a finite amount of ovaries. So our ovaries are what help produce progesterone and estrogen, et cetera. The hallmark of early perimenopause is that the progesterone in our ovaries, it's, we're not making as much. So it might show up as irregular cycles, anxiety, depression, sleep issues, very heavy, I used to call them crime scene periods. Um, weight loss resistance. This can all be a byproduct of these hormonal fluctuations. So when I talk about this lack of stress resiliency, it is not that you are incapable. It's that your body is changing. So these are the women that I will sometimes speak to. And, and unfortunately, in our culture, we're conditioned to believe more is better, more fasting, more exercise, more food restriction. And I'm here to tell you it is completely the opposite. You have to be kind to your body. So that's kind of in a nutshell, depends on where you are in your cycle, make sure your sleep is dialed in, make sure you're consuming anti-inflammatory nutrition. Maybe you got away with pizza and ice cream in your 20s and 30s, that all changes. I don't say this to sound like a wet blanket, but I think it's important to just acknowledge that as we're getting older, our diets need to change, our nutrition needs to change. Anti-inflammatory nutrition becomes very important. I know Ben and I both share the trait that we don't drink alcohol. Um, and that's been a choice that I've made largely due to sleep because sleep is so important to me. But things like alcohol and sugar and for individuals, specific individuals, maybe dairy no longer agrees with you or gluten or grains, just thinking outside the box, processed sugars. I know it's not sexy, but the, the way to find the reframe is always to reflect on 
I'm removing X food because it no longer serves me. You can find other things to do to satisfy that urge. Trust me. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I had to change about my diet. And so really touching on menopause, the same things apply. We're less stress resilient. We've got to manage our, our sleep, you know, anti-inflammatory nutrition, the right types of exercise so we're maintaining muscle mass. Um, but menopausal women, I find for many of them, fasting is a godsend, meaning they might've done all the things. And it's only now that they're eating less often that they're able to see the shifts and changes in body composition, lab work. So objectively and subjectively, women will start feeling a whole lot better. So I think that it's always in the context of who you are as a bio-individual. That's number one. And then what life stage are you in? And then being honest with yourself. If you are a little itty-bitty 52-year-old that has no body fat, guess what? I don't want you going overboard with fasting. I don't want you doing the 24, 36, 72-hour fast on the regular. I really don't. However, if you are 52 and you have weight to lose and you're insulin resistant, doing some variation in that schedule can be very, very beneficial. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, 
customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. I know Ben and I talked a lot about this um, in our most recent podcast Mm -hmm. of why I'm not a a fan of certain types of fasting. And a lot of it has to do with, can you get enough of your macros in, in your feeding window? And this is where I always ask, like, just be honest with yourself. If one meal a day, if you are a guy and you can get 175 grams of protein in one meal, more power to you. But I find most women can't do that. And so like, let's be honest with ourselves. What works for us may not work for our best friend, may not work for our our sister-in-law. Just figuring out what works best for us is really important. So important. Uh, And that's where you use different... We have so many different devices available, like HRV from an Aura Ring or an Apple Watch or whatever device. Looking, Yeah, you have it too. Looking at HRV, putting on a continuous glucose monitor. I know you're a fan of that, Cynthia. Mm-hmm. Looking at your blood sugars, looking at how much deep in REM sleep you're getting. But also even more important than metrics like this is, is paying attention to the signals your body's communicating to you. On, on day one, I, I made the case that symptoms are a gift from the innate intelligence we have stopped listening to this check engine light. Let's find out why is it flashing? It's, it's giving you signs. So pay attention to the cues your body's giving to you. What if you don't have a men- you're in the you're, it's, you're under 35 years old, but you don't have a menstrual cycle for whatever reason. Could you explain some ways to track or maybe use the moon, uh, the moon cycling as a way to gauge how, how much to fast, do keto, et cetera? Yeah. So my first question is always, why don't you have a menstrual cycle, especially if you're under the age of 35? Because there, there is something that we're starting to see more of, you know, in the past four years, we're seeing women who are in early menopause. So it's very different. Let me differentiate this from you have an IUD, you're on oral contraceptives, that's different. But if you are not on any type of hormonal synthetic birth control device is the first question is, why are you not getting a cycle? And I, I think that this is critically important. Sometimes it can be an autoimmune condition. Um, we are seeing more women. And by, say, by this, I mean late 20s that have just gone into premature ovarian failure. That is devastating. And it's very different if you're 50-ish and you go into menopause because they're just things you expect that you have to be more conscientious about but to go 20 plus 25 more years without sex hormones, that's not a good thing. So let's say you're, you have an IUD. Let's say you are on oral contraceptives. No judgment. I was on the pill for a long time myself before I got married. And that's a whole separate conversation. I can tell you all the things that mass being on that. I didn't realize you can cycle with the lunar calendar. So, you know, if you look at the lunar calendar, it's like the full moon is is when you have a menstrual cycle, ideally. Women used to actually cycle with the moon. You could look at it that way, like you'll seed cycle. That's another thing that you could do, specific types of seeds. And I do talk about this in the book. Um, is there a lot of research on this? No. Are these things going to be harmful? Absolutely not. Specific types of seeds and specific types of your cycle can be supportive of estrogen versus progesterone. But I find for a lot of women, I'll encourage them, like get a calendar out. And just note symptoms. Maybe you're a little more tired for a week out of that that month. Maybe you have more energy. Maybe your libido is shifting. Maybe you you have a couple days where you're like very interested in your partner or you're just more interested in sex in general. Helping people understand that first and foremost, you mentioned it is the innate intelligence. 
get a calendar and write down symptoms. So I find for a lot of women, when they start paying attention, whether it's changes in cervical mucus, uh, libido, energy levels, cravings, et cetera, that can be very insightful. And then, you know, cycling with the lunar calendar, that's certainly an option or even considering seed cycling. But let me be very clear. Seed cycling is not supported in a lot of research or much research at all. Um, in fact, when I've talked about it, even I, I've done some TV segments on this, um, got a little bit of heat from practitioners. And I said, but it's not going to hurt anyone. So from my perspective, providing you know options for people, provided it's not going to hurt them, is beneficial. But if you are part of that minority that is under age 35 and you're very thin, you either had COVID, and I'll be honest with you, we're starting to see some weird aberrancies related to COVID infections, people developing autoimmune conditions and just losing their cycles. And a lot of my colleagues and I are talking about this privately, not publicly yet, because we're trying, we're trying very hard to make sure that the research is going to be able to support what's going on for these individuals. But you do not want to be a younger woman without menstrual cycles that are not precipitated by a medication or uh, an IUD. So if you fall into that category, you absolutely positively want to figure it out. Our menstrual cycles are a vital sign, just like blood pressure, pulse, temperature, and they need to be taken as seriously as that. I, I think that we do a really, we practitioners, healthcare providers, sometimes do a really huge disservice to young women by not talking about that enough. You know, there are birth control pills that essentially will allow you never to have a menstrual cycle. Yeah. Um, and then helping women understand that when you're on the pill, your hormones are kept at almost a menopausal level. So a lot of the symptoms that I see in my 50, 60-year-old patients and clients are sometimes the same symptoms that I will hear younger women experience. And I'm like, you realize that you are the birth control pill, although preventing pregnancy, and I understand for many individuals that is the primary purpose, is also keeping you at a depleted level of, of sex hormones. So you're missing out on bone building opportunities. You know, we have peak bone and muscle mass in our 20s, beginning of our early 30s. And so if you're if your sex hormones are kept blunted from your teenage years into your early 30s, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to build healthy bone. And the irony is. A lot of these women, they're on oral contraceptives. As an example, their hormones are kept so low, they have no libido and they have no desire to have sex. And that's the cruel irony. You know, a drug that's designed to protect women and allow them to make choices then makes them feel like they don't want to do anything. So I, I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that in terms of cycling, like depending on what camp you fall into. But having said that, be honest with yourself or if you have a loved one that is 25 years old and they just don't have menstrual cycles, that's not normal. And that's something that needs to be evaluated. Great answer. Fantastic answer. And there's more info in Cynthia's book about what she just referenced as well. So definitely get the book. It's available. Where's the best place to get your book, by the way, Cynthia? You know, I always say if you can find it in a old fashioned uh, brick and mortar bookstore, you know, definitely try to support yeah. those individuals. I know it's so easy just to go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Target. But I always say, if you have a great bookstore locally, give them your business. You know, Amazon is making it really hard for a lot of these companies to stay in business. And I, I hate to think about a world without real bookstores because it's something that like myself and my children have always like loved going to look at books. So Me too. Yeah, me too. When I was a kid, I used to walk into like Best Buy and I was all about electronics and I used to get that dopamine of like surge when I walked into a Best Buy, like, oh my gosh. 
Now I don't get that at Best Buy. I get it in a bookstore. So oh. I love bookstores. Uh, we got to support them, especially like small business owners, etc. So that's the best way to get the book. Hey, Keto Camper. What if there was an easy way to help detoxify your body, ease stress, unwind, and hey, even burn more calories? What I'm talking about is sauna usage. Now there's a lot of studies that show the benefits of using a sauna and it could be kind of complicated because they're expensive and typically you have to go to a facility to use a sauna. What I love about my sauna is that it's a blanket that I use at the comfort of my own home. I use the one from Bond Charge and sauna blankets work by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories while you're relaxing and you could burn up to 600 calories in one session. Sweating also helps flush out toxins like heavy metals from your body, and elevating your heart rate while relaxing releases endorphins, which can leave you feeling euphoric. I feel like I just got a 60-minute massage when I get out of this thing. It works by using infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you like a traditional sauna. This means you get the same benefits at a lower heat. You also don't need to have your head in the heat like a traditional sauna. It's very easy to use. You can enjoy a session of 30 to 45 minutes while relaxing, reading, watching TV, or meditating. It's easy to clean. It's low EMF, especially compared to other brands out there. Simple and easy to get set up. And even more important, you, Keto Camper, are offered a nice coupon code for Bond Charges products, including their infrared sauna blanket. So head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to get 15% off your order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code in the podcast notes. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. And by the way, Cynthia is a big part of our Keto Camp Academy, especially in the Facebook group. She's in our private community for our academy students. She's very active in there. She comments, she engages. We, we appreciate that, Cynthia. But I have a question about the thyroid and fasting. A lot of people say fasting should not be done if you have a thyroid condition, especially if you have a slow thyroid. Is there any truth to that? What are some of the considerations there? Yeah, I think it's always context, Ben. And, and for full disclosure, just to let everyone know, I've had Hashimoto's. I'm in remission for probably eight years now. I take medication. If we understand at a cellular level what's going on when we are in a fasted state, we're improving mitochondrial efficiency. Mitochondria are the powerhouses of our cells. You know, when we're looking at cellular health, intermittent fasting can improve that. So always in the context of what is going on, if you are a newly diagnosed hypothyroid patient and you feel like crud, you have no energy, your hair is falling out, you're constipated, your skin's dry, and you're just getting started on medication, please don't add fasting to that regimen. I would say if you are stable on medication, you feel good, you're sleeping well, you have plenty of energy, then absolutely intermittent fasting can be beneficial. But again, always in the context of what is going on in your menstrual cycle. Are you sleeping? How's your stress management? I find for a lot of individuals that the mindset is whether you're male or female, if a little bit of fasting is good, more is better. And this is certainly one of those instances where I would say the caveat is like, let's be honest. I think for a lot of people, their Hashimoto's is not well controlled. Their antibodies are through the roof. They're not eating a gluten-free diet. They're not being mindful of, of their nutrition intake. They're not managing their stress. 
that is the perfect storm for where intermittent fasting could be harmful. However, if the opposite is the case, I think intermittent fasting, just based on the mechanistically what's going on at a cellular level, in many ways, I think that intermittent fasting can be very beneficial for the health of our mitochondria. And so it's always in the context of what is going on with you. If your medication is stable and you feel good, then you can definitely entertain that depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle, depending on what's going on in your personal life. If you're going through a divorce, you're going through a big move. I, I had a, a, multiple moves a few years ago in the same year while writing a book. Would not recommend doing a lot of fasting under those circumstances. But if you have a lot of extraneous stress, maybe that's the time to back off and do 12 hours of digestive rest. That's something, a theme that I hope everyone is hearing over and over again, that you always have the opportunity to come back to home base. Like that's always, like that's a baseline for everyone. You can always come back there if you're starting to have problems. But to suggest, as I know many people do on social media, that intermittent fasting is harmful for the thyroid, I think is really doing a lot of individuals a disservice. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's unfortunate. You hear things like women should not practice intermittent fasting. It's too stressful for women's hormones. And of course, that's not true. I mean, it can be true depending on where you're at. Like Cynthia just made the point there. But that's like saying women should not practice exercising because it's too stressful for them. Well, is it? If they exercise the right amount and they recover, they, they get healthier and stronger. It helps their hormones. But they do too much exercise and don't recover, then it is bad. So it's all in context. Fasting is a stress to the body, like exercise is a stress to the body. Both could be very beneficial for hormones and inflammation and longevity as long as we're adapting to the stress. And Cynthia just gave you so many ideas of are you adapting to the stress, paying attention to different clues and signals your body's giving to you. I do think HRV, heart rate variability, is one of the best gauges to see if you're doing too many stressors. So if you're not tracking your HRV, Track it. It's something that I pay attention to. Everybody has a different HRV, so don't compare your scores to somebody else. But for those Keto Camp Academy students, we have modules in the academy that show you how to look at HRV to gauge if you're doing enough stress, doing too much, or, or not enough, etc. Anything you want to add there before I get to the protein question? I do. Okay. I, I would also add that we know there are age-adjusted changes in HRV. So I don't expect my HRV to be Ben's and vice versa. Back then, would probably like freak out if you saw mine and be like, whoa. But I do know that it can change with travel. You know, Ben and I realized mm. this uh, when we were in Denver last yeah. year. Oh, boy. I was like, Ben, my HRV is in the toilet. I'm a middle-aged person. I don't expect my HRV to be what it would have been at 20 had it been tracking it. But it's also a good indication. Like I know my HRV is good in the 50s and 60s. If I wake up and it's in the 20s, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of a fine-tuned way of getting a sense of, are you having balance in that autonomic nervous system between the sympathetic, which is you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger versus the parasympathetic, which is the rest and repose side. Most of us struggle with the sympathetic dominant side. So yeah. It's really, it's an objective way of looking at that data and saying, okay, I need to clean things up. I usually just realize I need to go to bed earlier. Like I just need to go to bed earlier. Even during the holidays, my teenagers, my husband can stay up really late. If I do that, my HRV just plummets. Did you stay up for uh, New Year's Eve? This is the countdown? Uh, you know, the teenagers went out. So I had to stay up because I had to wait for the teenagers to come home. I was up till mm, 1130, 12. I think at 12, I was like, I couldn't keep my eyes open and my husband had to then stay up. Uh, I was not up willingly. It's just, it's, it's very hard for me to fall asleep if 
the little ducklings are out. They're not so little, but when they're out trying to explain them, I don't want you driving on the, so it's just all these extra variables. One is driving, one is not, but just knowing that they're driving when there's all these other things going on, you know, people that are not making good choices, driving after drinking and doing all sorts of things. So not willingly. How about you? Yeah, same. I mean, I, I didn't want to, but Natasia, uh, my fiance, for those who don't know, she likes to stay up. We were with her parents and I was struggling. <laughs> it was a late dinner, a late night. And the next morning, of course, my HRV took a hit. Uh, my scores were crappy, but you know, that's an exception. Like to right. your point, I usually go to bed early. I don't eat at night. If you could get your the majority of your calories earlier in the day, uh, Coach Becky Niles uh, coached on this on Tuesday. You're going to see better scores. You're going to feel better, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So get those calories earlier on in the day. Have you ever felt off during your keto journey or carnivore journey? Maybe you experienced a headache, some fatigue, pesky cravings. This can happen when your body loses vital minerals, especially when following a keto diet. Here's what happens. When you lower insulin on keto and carnivore and fasting, You shed excess body weight. This is fantastic because you look lighter and feel lighter. However, you lose essential minerals like potassium, sodium, and magnesium. That's where Beam Mineral steps in. It's a full-spectrum, concentrated electrolyte and mineral supplement that gives you all the essentials your body needs. Beam Mineral products are the perfect support for anyone doing keto, carnivore, and fasting. It does not break your fast. It does not contain any anti-nutrients, so it is carnivore-friendly. It tastes just like water. It helps to keep your carb cravings at bay and to keep you in this fat-adapted state we love called ketosis. I love this product. I drink it daily. I give it to my dog as well. So give Bee Minerals a try today for an enhanced keto, carnivore, and fasting experience. Head over to beamminerals.com. And use the coupon code AZADI, which is my last name, A-Z-A-D-I, for a special discount. That is beamminerals.com, B-E-A-M-M-I-N-E-R-A-L-S.com. Coupon code AZADI. We'll put that down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's get back to this interview. The benefits of fasting. Do they come from eating less often or do they come from eating less? What's more important? I think the benefits come from eating less often as opposed to eating less. And, and, you know, more often than not, the SECO people, the calories in, calories out, they'll say, oh, all intermittent fasting is is SECO. And and that always kind of, it used to bother me more than it does now. And now I'm like, this is just an opportunity to help them understand that there are things that go on with intermittent fasting that are beyond just caloric restriction. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, eating less often, changes in hormonal regulation, changes in autophagy. You know, I, I'm sure the the community is already very familiarized with autophagy. And there was a podcast I was listening to this morning that I'll have to pass along to you where there was a physician talking about benefits that go on with peptide therapies and autophagy. It was fascinating. I was like, wow, this is completely a different way of thinking about things. But for the benefits of individuals that think about fasting and they're like, oh, it's just caloric restriction. No, actually, it's way more than that. And way so more. Yeah. I think that I would be the first person to say it's less about what you're eating and more about how infrequently you're eating. And for a lot of individuals, they'll find that if they just count calories, 
if they just keep track of every morsel they put in their mouths and they restrict, 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 but yet they're still having this like wide feeding window or they're still eating inflammatory foods. I think for a lot of individuals, it's not until they experience the benefits. You know, for, for me at this stage of life, as an example, so much less bloating, so much less digestive issues if I'm not eating within three to four hours before bed, if I'm having, you know, a, a first meal of the day at 10 or 11 a.m. and then a second one later in the afternoon by four or five o'clock in the afternoon, way different than just going back to the almighty calorie because we all acknowledge and even Robert Lustig, Dr. Robert Lustig talks about this. It's just a unit of measurement, but we've gotten to the point where we just apply it to everything we do. We think that, you know, the packaging that says, you know, the serving is 150 calories, a lot of that's off. I mean, it, it's it's very, it's just not nearly as scientific as people would like to believe it is. Or, you know, I, I'm sure you probably did this, Ben, you know, years ago, you'd be on a cardio machine in the gym and it would tell you, okay, you need to walk this many miles to work off, you know, these five things. And our bodies are so much more attuned to that. Like as an example, the more muscle mass we have, the more calories we burn at rest. Very different than thinking about it as I have to walk five miles every day to burn off that Twinkie. I don't even know why the Twinkie just blew out of my mouth. I'm just thinking of something outrageous. It is vegan though, right, Ben? <laughs> yes. Um, and shelf, shelf stable as well. Correct. Shelf stable is what scares me. So I, I think from a lot of different perspectives, uh, there are a lot of people in the health and wellness space that are still diehard seco advocates. And I tell people all the time, it's not the calories don't matter. It's that hormones matter more. There's yeah. a lot more at play that interacts with the caloric consumption of things. I mean, let me be clear, if you eat two gallons of ice cream, that's a lot of calories, right? But, you know, if you ate the two gallons of ice cream and then took two or three days and didn't eat again, that's, that's so there's, there's different ways that you can look at it. But, it. but I think that the caloric focus is too simplistic and doesn't take into account muscle mass, doesn't take into account a lot of factors that impact how our body is able to effectively utilize and and effectively allow our metabolism to hum along efficiently or inefficiently. Yeah, and there's so I mean we could we could spend hours talking about this, right? There's so many so many flaws with just focusing on calories. And to Cynthia's point, it's not that we we say calories don't matter and we're denying the role of calories. We're saying they're not the most important thing to focus on. They're really not. They're more of a distraction. There are so many variables that come into play when it comes to our body's uh, basal metabolic rate and when we're eating and whether we burn a, a certain amount of calories or not. Uh, you make the point that when you're eating more protein, you'll burn more calories. When you're in ketosis, you'll raise your basal metabolic rate too because you're creating more energy as well. When you're stressed, there's going to be the opposite effect. So one of the biggest red flags is if a practitioner is just having you focus on calories in versus calories out. That is a big red flag that they're stuck with this old, outdated model of weight loss, which does not work long-term. It's a, a model that we need to get rid of. And I know Dr. Fung is always like huge on debunking that. I'm going to bring on Susie. She's going to ask you a question. Hey, Susie. Hi. Hi, Ben. Um, hi, Cynthia. I just bought your book. I bought it on Amazon. Oh, I feel really you. guilty now because... No, no, I also feel guilty. <laughs> So my question is, I am going to be 53 next month and um, my cycle's crazy, but I still have it. So I'm not in menopause. And every time I try to go like 
hardcore keto and um, do intermittent fasting, it's not amazing. So what I started doing was stop eating like at 4.30, uh, 5 o'clock, and then I don't have my next uh, meal until the morning. That seems to be better, but is that still intermittent fasting? And and is that part of what's causing craziness for me right now? <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess the question is, tell me more about if you're doing a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting, tell me what's happening. Cause you were saying you don't feel good. Is it you're tired? Is it your cycle gets more wonky? Is it that it disrupts your sleep? What's going on? I mean, I laughed out loud when you did the crime scene thing. And I was like, oh, my husband heard that and chuckled in the background. He's like, that's dark. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what's happening. So, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 53. So I mean, you're probably very likely, like if we were to draw an FSH, the follicular stimulating hormone, if that's over 20 or 25, you're very close. So at 53, you're probably at the tail end of, of perimenopause and this is when women sometimes will start having all sorts of new symptoms. If you're still having very heavy cycles, it could be that you have relative estrogen dominance to low progesterone. This is a really good time to have a conversation with your GYN or your internist and ask them like, would it be appropriate for me to have progesterone in the second half of my cycle? It can be life-changing for a lot of women. Do you have trouble sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you need some progesterone. <laughs> Um, and progesterone, like you can start at hundred milligrams. I mean, and I don't want anyone to ever take away from anything that you hear me say, I am very pro what works best for you. I do think it's important to understand what's going on physiologically. So less circulating progesterone from the ovaries, your adrenals step in. So you become less stress resilient, but if your sleep is wrecked, adding in intermittent fasting on top of that, I would say, let's fix the sleep first. So if it's starting with, you know, your your let's say your internist, your your GYN is willing to prescribe progesterone, great. That's and it's generic. It's very inexpensive. It gets more complicated when people want compounded stuff, but that's irrelevant. But I would say let's get your sleep fixed first. If you feel good right now, going from four o'clock in the afternoon until eight o'clock in the morning the following day, yes, you've got some degree of intermittent fasting that's ongoing. And for some people. They actually do better eating earlier in the day, meaning yeah. you know, we're more insulin sensitive during the day. And as we are navigating perimenopause and menopause, we're losing insulin sensitivity. So you may very well feel great doing exactly that. And I think that's fine. I would say just make sure you're not going too low on the carbs because for some people, they are just much more sensitive. Like if you said to me, I'm consuming 75 grams of carbohydrates a day, that's not too low. But if you said, I'm trying to do 30 and that's like funny. Yeah, that might be impactful. And I go into ketosis like hardcore fast. So probably uh, don't need it. I, I would say liberalize your carbohydrates a little bit, especially okay. if you're at a healthy weight, you're already lean, you're insulin sensitive. But I would say at a minimum, get some progesterone because that will help the heavy cycles. It'll help you sleep. And for a lot of people, they just don't realize that the anxious feelings they're having and feeling kind of sad is a byproduct in this loss of progesterone. So the, it can fix multiple things all at once. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Thank Susie. You. Thank you, Susie. So that. Thanks, Ben. That's yeah, all great question. Great coaching, Cynthia. Progesterone is great. Uh, by the way, I just did 90 days of carnivore. And for 30 of those 90 days, I actually took progesterone, 50 milligrams Thank in the you. morning and 50 in the evening. 
you know, just to see how I would feel with it. And actually, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, oh. Yeah. So I, you know, men can take it too. And from my I'll research, talk more about that. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. From my research, there's no negative feedback loop for progesterone. Is that correct? Meaning, if you take it, your body doesn't shut it down. No. Although it's interesting because my functional medicine doc and I are always having these convoluted conversations, and and his, he feels like if you have too much progesterone on board, it can raise cortisol. I think, you know, project at 50 milligrams, I'm not really worried about that. I, I do see a lot of women that are on 200, 300, 400 milligrams of mm. progesterone, and that can be too much for them. You can get some disruption in cortisol, but I think at that amount, I'm not worried yeah. about it. For and for, sure. I just did it for 30 days too. So yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. We'll talk more about that. You got to run, but share with those watching, where's the best place to go check you out, Cynthia? I would say my website. So www.cynthiatherlow.com. You can find information on my book, my podcast, which is, as Ben knows, one of my favorite things I do in my business, Everyday Wellness. Ben's been a guest four or five times, many, many times. You can connect with me on YouTube. I've got a growing YouTube channel. I'm active on Instagram. I'm a little snarky on Twitter or X. And I do have a free Facebook group called Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. There are men and women in that group. It is a drama-free zone. So don't at all be concerned. Like I actually moderate. I'm going to moderate for as long as I can. Like my team knows I like being very hands-on. But I'd love for you to reach out. Let me know how you got connected if you were part of Ben's challenge. and, And that's how you started following us. Thank you, Cynthia. We'll put all that down below. Have an amazing rest of your day. We'll talk later. Thank you for your time today. Bye, Cynthia. I hope you love Cynthia. She's amazing. Go get her book. Go follow her on social media. Go subscribe to her YouTube. All that good stuff we're putting down below in the podcast notes, her Facebook group, everything. We love Cynthia. She's amazing. I'm so grateful to collaborate with her for sure. If you listen to podcasts, which obviously you do because you're listening to me right now, add her Everyday Wellness podcast to your podcast rotation. You will not regret it. She's got a great platform there. So we'll reference that down below. Share this episode with a friend. If you want to watch the video interview with Cynthia from today, that's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash keto camp. Leave the show a rating and review and go get your keto recipes. They're cheap. They're delicious. They're easy to make. They keep you in ketosis. They're protein focused. I've handpicked every ingredient. Head to ketocamprecipes.com or click the link down below. All right. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.